I just think that wherever the journey takes me, like I just want to be fulfilled. Man, if I'm working on motorcycles, I just want to be happy doing that. If I'm happy teaching, if I'm happy in anything that I'm doing, as long as I'm fulfilled, because I've been at my highest highs and lowest lows, and mm-hmm. I think that it's that gap between that makes you feel alive. And uh, I'm not sure where that's going to be at, but as long as I'm failing upwards and growing, I think that's the most important part to me. Welcome to the Golden Hour Podcast. I'm your host, Dave Mays, and we're here in the Polar Pro studio. This podcast is all about bringing in photographers, filmmakers, and influencers, learning their creative process, and understanding what really makes them a creative. I've learned so much over the last several months doing the Golden Hour Podcast show, interviewing some amazing guests like Chris Bricard, Sorel Amore, Chris Howe, Lizzie Pierce, and so many other great creatives. In today's episode, we interview Garrett King, aka Shortstash on Instagram, who's built a following of well over 300,000 people. Garrett has an incredible eye for photography and really understands color balance and color theory. He's also a director and filmmaker producing commercial projects for all sorts of people like North Face and Hyundai. And in our interview, I learn about his creative process, how he started as a photographer coming from a graphic design background, and how to build a brand around your own creative identity. I really enjoyed my interview with Garrett, and if you're listening to this podcast and want to see the visual aspect of our interview, then definitely go check out polarpro.com slash golden hour to see the actual video that we recorded. We also include images of Garrett's work so that you can follow along when we talk about it. Without any further ado, let's listen into our interview with Garrett King. Well, thanks for coming in, man. Yeah, of course. Appreciate it. Uh, we're going to start off with a little game called One Word Rapid Fire. I'm okay. just going to ask you a couple questions one at a time. We haven't done one of these in a while. Uh, we're just going to, I just want you to answer them as quickly as possible. Okay. So ideally we want to do it like in under 30 seconds. Okay. All right, here we go. So here we go. Hometown. Amarillo. Favorite photography location. Ooh, let's say the desert. The desert. Yeah. Photo or video, which do you prefer? Oh, that's tough. Let's <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> um, say photo photo planned or spontaneous shoots planned favorite brand that you have gotten to work with say north face okay no offense to the other people uh tropical location or national park tropical location texas or california (laughs) (laughs) uh california Short stash or long stash? <laughs> <laughs> long stash. Nice. Yeah. That's it. I think we, I think okay. we nailed it. Dude, those are, oh, man, I love that. Those are so good because, yeah, I don't know. That's funny to think about. So for those of you who don't know, uh, you, you have two accounts. You've got yep. two accounts on Instagram, short stash and long stash. Uh, one is kind of like a behind the scenes, yeah, yeah. kind of normal Instagram account. Yep. The other one's more of like a portfolio of yep. your work, right? What is that why you did it? You just wanted to separate those two things or I think so. Um, I'm still trying to figure out what long stash is supposed to be. Um, right now it's kind of just an extension of other, like I have so much work that I constantly want to share, but it's so it's hard. I mean, if I could post like five times a day with 10 photos in a carousel for like three years straight from all the work that I have Uh that I just want to share. Yeah. And so I was like, I need another account where I can do that. But it's it's not really like it's really not much different yeah so now i'm trying to figure out if i do like before and after is there some type of like tutorial section or some type of like i don't know a little bit of like why follow long stash right if it's just mm-hmm. more pictures from short stash it's not really 
not yeah. much different. So I'm trying to figure out Just what avenue, yeah, to yeah. go on. Um, cause I want people to feel like, Oh, like you should follow this one as well, mm-hmm. because this offers like a lot more benefit as far as like answering questions or, um, maybe it is about editing or it's like a certain yeah. insight or behind the scenes on a project that I can't share on short stash or I didn't mm-hmm. have time or the space to share. So I'm still trying to figure out like what that looks like. Yeah. Um, and it's tough because a lot of stuff that I want to share is like random. So mm-hmm. I'll put that on long stash, but I'm still trying to curate it, you know, design wise for myself, you know, kind of what that looks oh, like. Really? So, so you're not just using it haphazardly as like a place to just share social media stuff. Yeah, no, it's, it's like, I don't know. It's tough. So I am yeah. still trying to figure that out. Cause I, <laughs> maybe you should just combine know. them and make medium stash. Yeah. I tried to get that account. It doesn't, it, yeah. Someone else has it. Oh, so. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, so yeah, I'm trying to figure that out still. Mediocre but, stash. Maybe yeah. that one's open. Yeah. 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 Um, <laughs> but before we dive into like your creative process, I want to just get to know you a little bit better. You mentioned your hometown. Yep. Uh, where exactly? I don't recognize the city that you Sure. Mentioned. So everyone recognizes it from the name. So it's like Amarillo by morning. Uh-huh. Uh, that's famous country <laughs> song. Um, so Amarillo, Texas is like right in the square of the shape of Texas or so yeah. right up in the panhandle. So oh, it's sweet. right in the middle. So you're from uh, the Sile, huh? Yeah. Yeah. The yeah I'm from Nashville. Okay. Yeah. Nice. So I'm used to that country accent, country yeah. music. I'm part of that world. Okay. Yeah. If I have a few beers, uh, my accent comes out. I feel yeah. like it's like a it's more Southern draw at times. So. <laughs> it's awesome. Yeah. And how long have you lived here? So I've only been in California right at a year. Oh, wow. Uh, yeah. Well, last week would have been a year. Nice. But like physically, I've maybe only been here for like five months. Okay. Uh, I feel like I've just been gone so much. Yeah. And again, that wasn't the idea when I moved down here was to be yeah. gone. It's just things have kind of like, I don't know, worked its way out like that. Yeah, um, sure. So now I'm trying to stay here a little bit more often and it's starting to, you know, um, kind of turn into that. Mm-hmm. I want to work more locally on projects and on bigger, more meaningful projects. And there's so much work here in LA. So that's why I moved down here and to like be able to surf and do a lot of stuff that I've never been able to do. Yeah. And, um, so that's kind of the goal. Well, you mentioned North face, yeah. uh, and you're talking about, you've just been gone a lot. Can you talk to any of the kind of recent projects that you've been working on that you're really sure. proud of that have been exciting? Um, yeah. So, a lot of the ongoing projects I have, like I've been working with Hyundai quite a bit on like kind of this just better me lifestyle. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that's been really fun because that's just like a four month project and a lot of that's kind of behind the scenes. And so that's been really fun. Um, and they're, they're really great to work with. Um, another thing, I just got back from Africa. So I was there with Akinel Expeditions. And, um, Where in Africa? So we went to Kenya. Nice. Barely. We were just there for like a day and a half. And then we went straight to Tanzania. So it was so far of a distance to mm-hmm. go in a short amount of time. Yeah. So that was really tough, but um, it's definitely worth it. Really? Yeah, yeah. I, I, I'd like to go back at some point. Um, I don't know when, but I'd also love to go to South Africa. Yeah. So, um, so that was really, really fun um, seeing the wildlife. And, you know, it's all about luck kind of being out there in the right place mm-hmm. at the right time. And if you're like a fast um, shooter or like you can, you know, see things out of the corner of your eye, those guides are really good for that. Yeah. Um, also, if you have the right gear. Uh, a lot of people I know that came, I think weren't expecting to uh-huh. have to stay in the vehicle the whole time. Yeah. And like, so, so you kind of, you need longer lenses. You need longer than like, 200 millimeters. Yeah, <laughs> to just be out there. So, um, or shoot on a 60 megapixel A7R4. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, um, yeah, that was fun. Um, before that, I feel like I was in, it's all blends together. I was in uh, Canada 
for SoCality, I was teaching. Uh, they kind of brought me in to do like a just like a session out there to teach uh-huh. on some things uh, for a lot of photographers and creatives. So I was out there and I love Canada and going up there. So that was really fun. And I got to do like a bucket list trip of mine that I've been wanting to do or try to do the last four years was to mm-hmm. canoe out to um, Spirit Island and Moline Lake. Mm-hmm. So, which was amazing. Uh, it takes a lot of planning and effort and then luck at the end if you have a good weather window. So that was huge. Um, it's like a 10 mile paddle out one way. Wow. So most people, it takes like four and a half hours to get out there depending mm-hmm. on the conditions. And we had a solid group and did it in like three and a half. And then on the way back, uh, Cass and I paddled and we made it back in two and a half. So it was just like wow. the Cambridge, Cambridge row crew out Who's there. Cass? <laughs> so Cass Sheridan, he's like my, uh, younger brother basically, um, that I never had, but, um, he's another photographer and videographer that I've worked with closely over the years and, um, kind of started out him assisting with a few projects and, mm-hmm. uh, now I feel like I assist him on stuff. So, um, he's no lesser of a creative, uh, than me. He's a super talented dude. Do you he's, like working together versus solo? Yeah. I like to watch him work solo too just because he's plenty capable and mm-hmm. uh he's always you know wanting to to help me with things and i can really appreciate but i love watching him just do his own thing yeah um and i think so many people want to be a part of something big um mm-hmm. but at the same time it's cool to just watch um them get kind of the limelight that they mm-hmm. need and deserve so well uh, i know really but fun. like i met a guy on this podcast uh who literally goes on trips completely by himself wow do you prefer to be with other people when you yeah travel? i mean i i don't know i've done a few solo trips and i think they're good to reset like your mind yeah. but at the same time um happiness is like its truest form you know when it's shared and i yeah. feel like if you can't you know chat with someone about, yeah, exactly. about it or share that experience yeah. you just kind of have it for yourself so uh-huh. um i get that i know a lot of people that solo travel yeah and it's pretty inspiring it. to like <laughs> the idea of it but yeah. um I don't know. I like, I like when to look back and yeah. be able to have, you know, traveled with my wife or yeah. whoever it is and my friends and say like, I remember this mm-hmm. time and uh, they remember it as well. I, I don't know. Yeah. I feel like I'm not much of like a solo guy yeah. in that. I mean, like mini adventures, yes, but like going to somewhere way across the world and spending like months at a time with yeah. myself, I, I don't know that I could do that. Yeah. It's all personality too, right? Yeah. Like <laughs> I, I can't even edit like by myself in my room. I have to go to Starbucks or something just to be around people. Yeah. Is, yeah. It just helps me in my creative process sure. just to be surrounded by people. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. Maybe that's just ADHD too. Is no, like... that's common. Cass is like that. <laughs> he can like go and like be motivated by other people. And um, yeah. for me, I can seclude myself and like get in the zone. Yeah. Um, or I don't know. I feel like I try to get out of my own head when I'm like just constantly like honed in working on something. So I can either be really crowded or have mm-hmm. complete silence. So I don't know. So how did you get started? <laughs> it's a big um, question. Sure. I'm sure you get a lot, but I want to hear the story. Yeah. Um, I got started from, I would say, so initially what got me into the whole creative field is I've always just been somewhat artistic and growing up, like whether it was drawing or, mm-hmm. um, 
I'd say like, yeah, really anything that had to do with the creative process. So yeah, drawing, painting, um, anything in like arts and crafts, like special projects growing up as a kid. Uh, I always thought that was super fun. And that was like your outlet as a kid mm-hmm. was, you know, there was always athletics and there was art and some people never really took art serious and some really did. And I was always like half and half. I enjoyed it. But uh, as I got older, there was a computer graphics class that I took in high school and this is just when graphic design was like kind of becoming this thing. Yeah. And it was like Photoshop just came out and Illustrator just came out. And I spent my whole sophomore year like working on Photoshop and my whole junior year on Illustrator. And then wow. senior year was like a mix of both. And this is back when like iMac had those really colorful, yes. like really weird. I had one of those too. Yeah. yeah like my the mouse school. was just circular. Uh, yeah. really There's only one click. Yeah, yeah. You had to use the uh, option button to exactly. right click. Yeah. So mm-hmm. I had those, and um, <laughs> it was like this. And like, I thank God that my teacher that I had back then actually took the initiative to want to teach uh, and, and do her job. Her name is Mrs. Olson. And I feel like I owe a lot of my creative success to her because back then, I didn't know it at the time, but learning all these really boring um, like tools, what everything meant was just like, it was so boring back then, but those were the fundamentals that I learned. Yeah. And then when I decided that I wanted to get into um, design and do that as like my full-time job and go to college for it, um, it would, if it wasn't for those classes that I took when I got to college, they mm. weren't teaching any of that. They expected that you knew everything. Wow. And I'd say 80% of the kids that I went to college with didn't know that when they got there. They, they just didn't know the basics of no, Illustrator? No, they had to learn everything on their own. And I taught a lot of myself, you know, a lot of that stuff was self-taught as well. But I had the basics and the functionalities. And so I could build a really strong foundation and base from that. Whereas no, most people just had a, a glass floor and they didn't know where to start. Mm. Um so because I had they didn't a, know how to use the lasso no, tool. No, they didn't know what that was or what is this tool, and they had to learn it all at once while having to be creative yeah. and on deadlines What's of projects. Vector? Yeah, they didn't know. And so me, yeah, had we took written tests, like what is bitmap versus vector, like what is this versus that. And at the time, it was like, this is really boring, but I learned so much that that mm. built this foundation for me. And so from then, I just like kind of took off with this design field and um, – you know, worked for several agencies and had these big opportunities I was able to capitalize on and um, like rebrand big companies and had big opportunities from there and in Colorado uh, when I moved out there. And Just um, fresh out of college? No. So when I was fresh out of college, I was actually still working in an agency in, in Texas. Okay. So um, when I was doing that, I had a ton of experience in design. I was getting somewhat into photography back then because of other friends. I was just mm-hmm. more or less just like having fun yeah um but that's when instagram kind of came around mm-hmm. and it was just, just like this new photo sharing yeah. world and at the time it was just like a bunch of my friends from college i didn't really understand that there was a whole creative world yeah. on the other side of that mm-hmm. um so i had put a lot of design work on there and was just it was more like my side dribble account um mm-hmm. for those designers out there is like dribble or behance yeah um so i was putting a lot of just like personal stuff on there and then when i moved to colorado to work for a different agency uh, as an art director, I was there and I had the opportunity to start meeting a bunch of creatives and there was like these Insta meets and stuff like that. And I was shooting with my phone the whole time because that's really all I could afford. Mm-hmm. And um, and I loved it because back then that's just what it was about. Um, and it was about the one piece of common gear that everyone had was just their phone. So uh, getting into that, I kind of took off from there and I felt like 
I didn't know that it was even possible to grow like that on social media or what that meant or how people did that. And mm-hmm. uh, so it was always just this like side hobby because my real job was design. Yeah. And I was very passionate about that. So this photography thing was just all on the side. Uh, and I wouldn't even say it was photography, right? It was just like traveling around, exploring with buddies and just shooting photos on your phone. Um, all the while that thing grew and before I knew it, I had like 80,000 followers Mm -hmm. for some reason. I was just shooting with my iPhone yeah, and which I thought was amazing because it was like, it was a testimony of like how creative you could get with this just one common object. I didn't have anything special. Yeah. Um, awesome. Yeah. And then it turned into like this bigger portfolio and I got, finally got a camera and, um, was able to work on a few different jobs. And then I basically quit my design job when I was living in Boulder, uh, they were really kind and wanted me to come back. And, mm-hmm. um, after I took this trip to Norway and I just had a big opportunity that I wasn't going to miss. And I just said, I think I'm just going to quit. Wow. So I never looked back because I knew that I was a go-getter and it was like mm-hmm. a sink or swim thing. So I said, you know, I'll figure it out when I get back and yeah. I leveraged clients that, um, the agencies, you know, knew and needed help with photo assets. And so I was mm-hmm. helping both the agency and the client. And so, um, it was just trying to work smarter and not harder and then just really grind outside of that. So it was cool cause wow. I was my own boss and you could, uh, work as much as you wanted, learn as much as you wanted. You could take breaks, you could sleep, you could mm-hmm. disappear if you wanted to, if you just needed to rest. <laughs> and yeah, yeah, I loved that. So then it just kind of took off and it's just been like that ever since. So, so how, what, just give me a time frame year wise. When, when was that? Sure. Search? So this was. All right, so... It's 2019 right now. This was 2000... <laughs> I've been... I had a memory pop up the other day on Facebook that said uh-huh. this was four years ago. Okay. And so four years ago is when I... I'd say four and a half years ago when I started mm-hmm. shooting. So, like, serious. Okay. I guess this is in, like... I don't know, maybe not serious. This is in my phone, but uh, there was a photograph that pulled up, and it was a tent. I was in a... It was a photo of my dog outside the tent. I went mm-hmm. camping with... Uh, a buddy of mine, Rafa Diaz, and then uh, Matt Honnell. So everyone knows Matthew Honnell and Renee, his wife. And so uh, when they lived in Colorado, I went on a camping trip with Matt. And that memory popped up because we went to, I think it was called Missouri Lakes back then in Colorado. And we anyway, we had this crazy sunrise that morning. And the photo that popped up was, it was shot on my phone. Wow. So I'm like, yeah, I guess that was four years ago. Yeah. So it was interesting. Um, and then just how far, like. What was the first camera you bought? The first camera I bought was a Nikon D5300. Okay. And it was a buddy of mine, Kyle. He was selling it, and uh, he gave me a really good deal. And uh, I looked up to him and his work, and so... Uh, he was also selling like this, like nifty 50 type lens. And so I bought that as well. And it was just something, it was the first thing that I was photographing with that had the depth of field. Yeah. It was a depth that changed my whole perception on everything. Yeah. Um, because that's what separates, I feel like your phone where everything's in focus. I mean, now they have like portrait mode and that stuff, which is just like fake focus, but it went from everything's in focus, like this normal flat plane shot to just bringing depth and just like all this space between people. Mm -hmm. So, um, that was really sweet. I had the chance to get a Canon 60D from a friend who was selling his. Mm-hmm. So I sold my Nikon and got a Canon because I, I just like the feel more. Mm-hmm. And some of the, I mean, it's cliche, the, video the, the colors, yeah, and the video with it. So I had a 60D in that fold-out screen. Um, and I had that for like, I'd say like a year and a half with like that Sigma 18 to 35, 1.8 lens. That lens is money. It was perfect. So I had yeah. that and then I upgraded to like a 60 
and then had that for a brief moment until I had a couple big jobs come through. And at the time, I was trying to get more into video. Mm -hmm. And so this is when the R2 and the S2 were out the for Sony. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and so uh, I was able to pick up the R2 and kind of switch. Mm-hmm. And I held on to my Canon for a while because I wasn't sure how I was going to be able to like learn and retain that system and see if I, I wanted to stick with it. Um, but I took it to Yosemite, like my first trip to Yosemite in San Francisco and really tried it out and, and, and loved it. So I stuck with it because it was the first camera back then that could do video and photo, yeah. uh, in such a good way. Uh, now there's a, I mean, a lot of cameras like that, but back then it was just, it was huge to be able to just flip over and do video with yeah, that same course. camera and not have to switch. So, um, that was why I switched back then was just for video. Well, wasn't can we, like, can we talk about video? Sure. Cause a lot of people might only see you as a photographer or whatever, but you also are a cinematographer yeah, and yeah. you love doing video as well. Yeah. Tell me about that process and how you got involved in high end video stuff. Sure. So uh, it's funny. Like I talked to Kaz about this a lot. We're trying to figure out a good time to launch a lot of this unreleased like film footage that we've taken over the years stuff from Antarctica and stuff from like past projects and this mission Taiwan video that we've had wrapped up for a while. I'm trying to figure out when and how to launch it. Mm -hmm. Uh, These are big like passion projects we've worked on. And, um, I think there's so much video work that I do that no one sees that's uh, for clients and things that I really love, whether it's like automotive to like women's lifestyle and fashion to like GQ style men's fashion shoots and video Mm -hmm. work like that. Um, but it's it's not that I don't want to share. It's just fulfilling for me to just be doing it. And mm-hmm. I feel like there's just some stuff you just don't share. Uh, sure. It's not intentional. I just don't share it because I don't think about it. Uh, <laughs> and it has nothing to do with social media, so yeah. I just don't put it on there. Um, but, yeah, the I love, you know, when you're asking photo or video earlier, which I prefer, um, it's equally 50-50 for me. I mm-hmm. think video uh, takes a backseat at times because I, I intimidate myself knowing that I – I need the prep work to be there before yeah. I can film because I there's I get so much more out of prepping mm-hmm. um, for video if I just sit down and kind of storyboard things out. Yeah. Um, but at the same time, there's nothing wrong with like capturing small raw clips from places yeah. and just putting together just like this kind of um, journey esque piece yeah. just for yourself. But I feel like most people that film now, at least on social media, it's just a bunch of random like sweet clips. But it doesn't kind of live outside of that it's just like here's a bunch of really cool stuff we saw none of it makes a lot of sense mm-hmm. um but i'm guilty of that too because i'll look back and i'm like it doesn't really tell much of a story and i feel like you could create a much better story just mm-hmm. sitting down and doing that prep work whereas like photos you can capture right then and there yeah and kind of think on the fly um for the, for the photo tells its own story yeah. yeah so if i had to choose one it would be photo just in a sense of like it can be quick you can be um, fast on your feet and be able to like tell that story or, or you know, say if all, all else fails, the internet doesn't really load much, but it can at least load your photo. Mm-hmm. So many times you don't watch videos because they don't load fully and that's mm-hmm. like your service or Wi-Fi. And so I feel like if you had at least a photo set that can tell that story to help support it. Um, so that's why I say photo, but I, I love video and, and even three to four really strong clips can convey this, yeah. this, this great piece. Uh, you don't have to have you know, 900 half second mm-hmm. mediocre clips put into zoom transitions and a billion other effects <laughs> to make it appeal that it was like a good story. Yeah. Uh, some of the best guys I know, uh, one that comes off the top of my head is RJ Bruni up mm-hmm. in, um, Vancouver. Uh, I guess he's in like Chilliwack, but, uh, that guy 
knows how to tell a story and plan and and just execute in such a traditional um, film manner of just like longer shots, longer takes. Uh, if he does do follow focus and stuff, it's like very cinematic and clean and well thought through. It's like very um, asymmetrical, centered, all those things, macro, close up, wide, all that. And I just get so inspired because it's it's so traditional, but it's out of the norm because everyone likes all this fast paced, like camera whip transitions and all this wild stuff from social media. He's kind of stayed true to true like cinematography. And so it's timeless. So it stands out to me. Um, and it could just be someone pouring coffee one morning and just filming that and the way he shoots it, it's just like, dang, um, it just speaks because yeah. it's, it was well thought out and it's like, I don't know. I feel like that just sticks with me more That's than awesome. something that I watch a hundred times and it has so many clips and so many transitions. I'm like, I don't really know what I'm watching. Yeah. Uh, for me personally. No, I feel that way too. So for sure. I don't know. That's personal, but it's a it's like music you know you have different genres of music you have pop you have classical country mm-hmm. i mean classical music couldn't be further from traditional pop like popular sure. music right yeah yeah but they're both music so you know pop is easy to consume it's quick and then classical is a masterpiece of you know hundreds of people coming together and creating something so sure, sure. like real filmmaking does require a lot of prep work requires a lot of people yeah uh if you want to do it right you know sure so yeah it's a, it's like a whole tribe and village man making yeah. things happen and i so i i get a lot of re- i have a lot of respect for awesome. film work because i feel like i know what it takes to put it in or mm-hmm. you see what it takes for a lot of things and it's incredible um even for like a 20 30 second spot you know oh, commercial yeah. you see things happen um and so I, to me, I have a lot of respect for video work. Some people think you just like slap a preset on it and all of a sudden everything looks <laughs> yeah. copacetic as your photos and it's nah. just not the case. So, um, so we're going to look through, uh, we, we pulled three images and I want to get a story on each image, cool. um, here. You mentioned telling a story through, through pictures. Yep. So let's, uh, let's talk about this here. So <laughs> this picture is you on your laptop with your feet up yeah but it looks like you're like somewhere i don't know where you are but you're sitting inside of like an iceberg yeah yeah tell me the story behind this picture where was it taken you know what are you doing sure and uh yeah it looks pretty funny sure so um for that shot um it was so we're traveling around iceland that's at uh I think it's like diamond beach mm-hmm. um around there uh by one of the glaciers so we were just around there and kind of just like photographing and it was i was actually working on stuff in the car at that time because mm-hmm. uh, we some of us were out shooting some of us were staying away from like the wind and i was working on some stuff but what that was that was for a, a um it was basically like a uh to tell a story like you can kind of work anywhere but it was just you know more of a dramatic piece because i'm literally sitting in like an iceberg chair that we kind of found <laughs> yeah and it was for a uag at the time because okay. like they're rugged um computer covers and like the ipad covers phone cases like uh and i love those guys over there they have a great okay. great company and so yeah you've got um, like a rugged case on your laptop yeah and so it was perfect because like uh you know, it, it was in a rugged environment. And so it felt like it made sense to me to help kind of portray that, that <laughs> scene. So, uh, it was more like a, uh, that's basically like an ad for them, but it was, it was anytime I've worked with them, it's always been this seamless lifestyle integration because it's, um, it's one of the, like, 
I don't know, there's some brands that you work with that you try to integrate it in, right? And that's mm-hmm. the challenge. But some is just seamless and easy. Uh, for me, UAG has always been that way because it's just stuff that I use, whether it was like iPad stuff or, or the computer. Um, I thought that was like the perfect opportunity. Yeah. And I think people got like a kick out of that. Yeah. And, uh, Apple ended up sharing that in their whole campaign. Really? In their commercial about behind the Mac. Mm-hmm. So it's crazy. They can, did they make it black and white? Yeah. 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 So it was like in, in which was gnarly because that uh, they reached out and said they, you know, wanted to use it and talk to me about the image and stuff like that. And I said, you know, I was with UAG and um, it mm-hmm. was just like, here's the concept behind it. And uh, they loved it. And uh, yeah, before you know it, it was like in a commercial with Kermit the Frog and like John Legend and stuff. And uh, that was just a wild experience. Did but. that like gain you extra exposure? I have no didn't... idea. I think it's such a short second. Like, uh people that follow me think recognize that 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 photo was in there yeah um but it was very humbling and like honored to be i don't know why they would have picked me but to be well it's a great image and and, but like in this campaign with like all these insanely big celebrities yeah uh so that was really cool but uh yeah i mean you know they're not sitting in an iceberg no so i think maybe it was just (laughs) like a it was like a testimony of like you could be in the studio, um, you know, with ASAP Rocky, or you could be out mm-hmm. here in the middle of nowhere, like on an iceberg. So that mm-hmm. that was really cool to me. Very um, cool, man. And then I had no idea. They were kind of vague on how they were sharing it. Um, and all of a sudden, it's in every single primetime spot in the Super Bowl and AFC Championship and College Football Championship and basketball. It was everywhere. So basically, because it was so short and because the context of the commercial it was more of like people texting you and being like bro i just saw you yeah they're like i'm pretty sure i just saw you in the commercial <laughs> yeah. so it was really funny but it wasn't um, like you're getting jobs because of no, that necessarily no. not that i th- unless yeah unless you follow me and know that that was me in it because it's they're literally like one second yeah. pictures uh, i don't think that uh and then it doesn't say like hey this is so-and-so's photo or you're sure. in a shot like doesn't say that so i think it's hopefully you got a nice check though right yeah, so. yeah it's like it's like real you know if the people that follow you and know we're like oh man i've seen that before and <laughs> yeah. so uh which is cool because yeah granted if i wasn't sitting in an iceberg i don't feel like people would pay that much attention mm-hmm. but because it's like that people are like oh he's sitting in an iceberg wait i think i've seen that yeah right so if it was a normal chair i don't think <laughs> so let's move on great. to this next image uh it looks like japan sure. um but there's there's an aspect to this image that i love and i've seen it throughout your work and this may be partly because of your graphic design background, but we have uh, in the corner of the image um, a hand drawing kind of sketch of Mount Fuji. Mount Fuji, yeah. Um, really creative direction that you took it with the the sketching with the photography. Sure. Let's talk about that. Talk about the image. Sure. So that was a trip I took um, in end of February this past year and um we were roaming the whole country it was a job I was there for ANA Airlines and uh Mount Fuji is one place I've always wanted to go to and we had heard that it's really hard to catch it on a good day mm-hmm. um we kind of struck out there we were only there for like a day and a half like around the Mount Fuji area the sunrise that I had planned I wanted this epic shot that I had been planning for like a month and figured out where to be um, is to catch these surfers in the morning with Mount Fuji lit up in the back behind them. You have to have a specific lens, the way you shoot it, the way time of year, all that stuff. The weather was terrible. There were no surfers out because there was no break that morning. Everything was foggy and cold, so that just died. Um, and then <laughs> after that, we were like, dang, because we had got out there like 2 in the morning waiting and trying to figure out this spot because it takes a while to transport around in Japan if you don't have a car. 
So then we're like, all right, well, maybe we can catch a glimpse of it uh, for sunset. So during the day, we actually did see it in like the really bright blue skies and it's massive. So that was really cool. So we did get to see it. But for sunset, there's a spot in this pagoda. It's a very famous lookout that everyone goes to. And I've seen some pretty incredible pictures from there granted the picture i took all the leaves are dead there's no leaves uh anywhere and it's because of time of year but my job was to expose parts of japan that's beautiful no matter what mm-hmm. um this was like a week before cherry blossom so everybody probably two weeks later i mean that place is packed and beautiful with flowers and i, I can see why uh but for me as you can see we waited around for like several hours and it almost broke free of the clouds the sun was popping out and mm-hmm. it was um beautiful but mount fuji ended up getting um, covered up so to me it was like okay this is my memory here mount fuji supposed to be in the back that's where <laughs> the lookout's supposed to be and yeah. if you could see it it's right there and i thought that you know drawing it in um for me as i like to draw on photos because it's a process for me um and i only do it for myself and i thought it was a cool uh, i started doing it when i was in Antarctica, but it's like a journalistic feel of just like yeah here in my shoes uh so for me i was like that's supposed to be mount fuji back there this is ideally what the shot was supposed <laughs> to look like and i think people loved it because it's such a realistic representation because a lot of people go up there and don't get to see it that uh-huh. happens a lot so they're like oh man i feel you i got so many comments like dude same <laughs> i was like the same because they're laughing because i'm like that happened to me and i've been like four times or something like that and i'm like shoot you know we were only there for a day and a half and our luck kind of wasn't on our side and then sunrise the next morning it was raining so we didn't get to see it but uh yeah i love that because it just takes me back i'm like dude we were supposed Mm -hmm. to see it at that point and it never (laughs) never opened up but yeah so i love uh, that it's it's like you said it's real and i think people can just relate to it do you do you end up doing this kind of style when stuff like this happens often yeah i try well man another thing with social media too is when i started journaling stuff on photos when i was in antarctica the reason i started doing it is because one i thought it was different and i didn't see really anybody writing on their images it's probably like a no-no but for me you know when i was making these yellow x's on my photos the yellow had to do with cork expeditions which is the company that i was traveling with so that's why it was yellow another thing was just like informational cues of like what type of penguin it was certain things like that so i could look back and be like oh that's really cool it had just like this stylistic feel um and then once it gets exposed to social media people start copying and like i don't know how many times i've been tagged in photos of stuff people drawing on their photos and it's like yellow x's everywhere i'm like do you even know why you did that or like why you would draw that do you even Uh know you're just literally copying someone you have no idea you skip the whole purpose of the creative process yeah and why you do something Mm -hmm. and it's always frustrating and sacks people just don't they don't get it but for me drawing on a photo it was to display, again, a personal note. I don't care what anybody else thinks. And to me, I'm like, I think it's funny and also insightful to know that, like, it's just a little piece of the memory. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's different because, yeah, it's not traditional. A lot of people, that's more like mixed media. Yeah, People want a photo for its purest form. And some people don't even edit their photos mm-hmm. and just want it for its purest form. And I can appreciate that. Do you think that your training as a graphic designer has play in your photography now and video i do yeah and i'm trying to bridge the gap between those two like whether it's sound design motion design um, graphic design typography all of that because i feel like they if they're done well they cohesively just work together and fit perfectly Mm -hmm. into place and i think that when you see it done right it's like oh wow it looks really good yeah do you think that people starting out just because they're new they have to kind of replicate what they see but then What's that process of figuring your own voice out? Sure. Yeah, I think that's such a huge problem with 
I mean, I feel like right now the creative community is so toxic. It's just saturated with the same energy of like, I mean, whether it's like content awareness of issues going on with the world and there's so many good and bad pieces of that. And I love that there's a big awareness of certain things going on and that's a great aspect. But like the creative community, I feel like Mm -hmm. it's so toxic right now because everyone is just dying to figure out how to stay alive, how to mimic or copy or buy presets or do something that allows their work to all of a sudden just skyrocket to the top and try to just compete with people who have been doing it for years or people that are truly creative and carving their own path for their own success and people just want to fill up those paths and just try to run right behind them yeah and i think that it's it's up to you as a creative to one just take the time and the steps to make it your own like Mm -hmm whether that's color theory or post-process and pre-process or typography or design or whatever you want it to be. And I feel like so many people are just trying to rush and skip through these steps. Like, yeah, 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 whatever it is. Like, I just need it mm-hmm. to make sure I'm happy or fulfilled. If people like it, then that's great. I'm a true artist. That doesn't, and that's so wrong. Um, I truly feel like most people are skipping that creative process completely mm-hmm. um, in hopes that they can be satisfied and fulfilled and their art when it's not really theirs and in the end they're going to be let down and not fulfilled because they truly skip the most important part well i mean it takes time i mean i've been creating stuff for 11 years now when i was 17 i started shooting wedding videos and that turned into more work and stuff and like you mentioned with your career i mean you went to college you were working in graphic design like you've got what a decade of experience now yeah right so a lot of people don't realize, especially kids starting out, they want to do this. That's great. I'm glad that you understand what you want to do. That's sure. one of the most important things is to decide what you want to do. But then it just takes time. And exactly. you yeah. got to have a body of work to learn how to navigate that. And I think so. it's a sign of it. I mean, it's a sense of maturity, too, and real you know, creative artists who say, this is what I want to do. Mm-hmm. Now I'm going to take the steps to do it my own way yeah. and take influence from people, be inspired, but roll in my own, mm-hmm. you know, direction. And I want to do that in such a way that I create my own style and aesthetic mm-hmm. and, and inspire others. And I think that there's, that's like the split is people that want to do it mm-hmm. and will cheat at all costs. And those that want to do it and, and in time, whether that's like in a year or 10 years or whatever that is, they, they do it for themselves, not yeah. for anyone else. So, so for you, why adventure outdoors? travel sure aesthetic why so, do you, why do you like that yeah that was never really on purpose uh it was when i moved to colorado it was just about getting out on the weekends like these weekend warrior trips where you work mm-hmm. 60 hours a week and then friday is either like go to the bars and go get drinks or go see something you haven't seen before mm-hmm. and both are fine it was just the core group of guys that i started traveling with when i was in colorado we all just wanted to go see stuff we never seen like what's out there and like yeah I don't know. We were all like, like the outdoors, but it was like, what can we just go see that's new around us? It's a great place to live to do that. Yeah. So we, you know, and and all over Colorado, Utah's close. We went to the desert a lot. And I think that it just developed into this, it was because outdoors and Mm -hmm. and there was such an abundance of when I started. That's kind of why it was, you know, the way it was. I think it had been different if I'd been more into urban exploring, if I lived in, you know, uh, the Northeast or something like that. I think sure. people just absorb what's around them. Uh, for me, I've always out, been in the outdoors, so it just kind of came up mm-hmm. that way and evolved. But as of the last year, um, I've really adapted to 
a little bit of everything. I would love to challenge myself and start shooting more in a studio to do more uh, stuff maybe indoors or internally through some things and kind of go through those challenges. Nice. Uh, just stuff that gets me out of my comfort zone because like this outdoor lifestyle stuff is fun, but it is, it it takes so much effort in so many ways and then a lot of those efforts never come to fruition because of the conditions outside so you just have Mm -hmm. to roll with this luck right and a lot of people don't know how much effort that goes into it you know and a lot of stuff the effort and prep work like this podcast and the good lighting and the good mics and the feedback and making sure that everything runs properly it's all this prep work yeah um that's a lot of knowledge i want to gain too is internal studio stuff and learning more about sound design and uh, i'm just like such a novice and and you know video work still and and audio work and stuff like that and there's just so much room to improve so i'm trying to kind of dip into areas where i can maybe try to control a little bit more and Mm -hmm. have a little bit more uh creative stability and and not rely so much on like is the light outside good you know like now i see myself shooting in harsh light all the time if there's sunlight out work with it because you can do some really cool abstract stuff and uh, again, it's just a challenge as a creative. Like, yeah, everybody wants to shoot in perfect, like golden light, twenty four hours a day. Yeah. But that doesn't—that's not really realistic as a true creative. Sure. That just doesn't happen all the time. When it happens, it's great. And if it doesn't, you need to know how to adapt. So let's talk about the thing that a lot of people ask you about: um, your color palette mm-hmm. and the the looks that you've developed. Um, it's obviously a very consistent theme, at least for certain blocks of images. Sure. How did you develop that? And like, why did you do it? Do you want to change that? Do you like where it is? Yeah. It's kind of your signature look. Yeah. I think that developing that process has been over these past four years, um, from when I was shooting an iPhone to my first camera to things like that. Mm -hmm. You can kind of see a gradual change in, in colors. And I might've gone in back to some stuff or tweaked things a bit that I like. Um, but I think that it's it's something, again, like you said, happens over time. These are mm-hmm. things that you can't just develop overnight. Uh, the way I shoot beforehand, like a lot of pre-process the way I shoot, um, I always have a custom white balance settings. And luckily through Sony, I'm able to like custom calibrate a few different colors when you're out in the scene shooting because I know that if I shoot this certain light or this certain color in post-process, it translates to this color because of that. Like if I don't shift a bit, uh, of warmth in here or cool in here in this scene, that means it's going to come out, you know, a little bit greenish blue in post when I need it to be a little bit more yellow green, mm-hmm. right? It's like your aquas turning your greens, your greens turn into yellows, yellows turn into oranges. If you don't have certain settings correct, um, whether it's a raw image or not, it's understanding your gear and understanding your limitations. And yeah, I've done a lot of that through just testing and trial by error. Uh, and there's still a lot of stuff that I shoot that I'm like, man, I should have maybe shot that a bit differently beforehand because post-process it's it's not quite like where i'd want it to look and then a lot Mm -hmm. of times uh like it doesn't take me that long to edit my images because of the the prep work i put in and the post look um you know i have maybe like a few different bases that i've built for myself and the directions that i want to go based on the certain color palette and theme that i enjoy and to me once you have that that base for yourself and that structure and infrastructure to build around it yeah um once you're in that realm i feel like 
it shouldn't take you like I don't spend hours on a photo. Mm-hmm. I'll spend hours editing hundreds of photos mm-hmm. and blowing them out through each scene. Like, okay, you know, I might have to tweak a scene a certain way, and then those fifty photos shot in that scene, boom, those are done. Yeah, you know, make sure everything looks clean and clear and and cohesive, and then a different scene, boom, let's blow that out. Because you have to learn how to work efficient and fast. Mm. Uh, just like in design, I had to be really quick and know all the shortcuts on the computer and every program. And you know, if you're doing a high volume work in any profession you want to be quick fast yeah. and efficient at it so um i don't spend a whole lot of time like editing things unless it was something like really abstract or i didn't do my job on sure. shooting it correctly sometimes it's like all right well i guess it just is what it is <laughs> maybe that photo could have been awesome but i need to shoot mm-hmm. it differently next time because so many people like over triple bake photos to mm-hmm. try to correct yeah and polish something they just it's not great from the get-go. So um, I think it just takes time and understanding color theory, what's complementary, uh, what contrast yes. is, what white values are, what black values are, your S-curve, stuff like that. And mm-hmm. it's all by diving into the program. I'm not doing yeah. anything special that anyone else isn't doing. It's just understanding your tools well, and then using them. When I look at your work, I actually come from a graphic design background too. I was studying to be an animator. And I, went, oh, wow. I was going to go to Savannah College of Art and Design in Georgia okay. um, and do animation. So I did some a bunch of graphic design classes, and then I dropped out and did magic and other things. That's, magic, yeah, I was a magician. That's amazing, <laughs> yeah, uh, that's another story. Okay. Um, <laughs> but I learned about color theory in college, and it, it was super boring and sure. yeah. super annoying. And of course, they were pulling up a lot of different uh, painters, and we were studying different paintings and different artists and how they use. Uh, negative shapes and uh, complementary colors and I bought one of those little color wheels yeah and you can see like there's so many patterns the way color works and a lot of people if you don't know this like certain colors obviously complement each other purple and yellow uh, orange and teal um, which we see all the time in films because teal uh, orange is sort of skin tone ish sure and so when I look at your images, I see that you understand color theory mm-hmm. and complementary colors because you're doing a lot of, you know, opposite color sure. shifts and things. Sure. And uh, I just, I don't know, I just noticed that in your work. And it's something that has really helped me as a filmmaker when I started learning how to do uh, color grading and color looks and things, understanding that this is the opposite of this, this works well with this, sure. these three colors go perfect together. It's just really important. Sure. And uh, anyways, I think anybody who doesn't understand that, those basics that you learned in college mm-hmm. uh, and in high school, it sounds like, yeah. um, it's hard to just learn it on your own. Yeah, it's, you'll it never is something, understand. It is something you can actually learn in a book and it, you can use it. <laughs> exactly, yeah. I mean, people, again, want to skip that process and they mm-hmm. don't. they don't want to take the time to care about learning color theory they're just like how do i get these colors and it's like if you pay attention i'm literally trying to tell you you have to learn what color theory is why it works mm-hmm. the way it does to the human eye it just doesn't happen yeah these things are intention like there's an intent for everything and so and that's why we, before we turn the mics on we were discussing presets and how sure. so many people sell presets and there's a lot of people that have asked you yeah. hey i, I want to buy your preset because you obviously have a great look sure but there's so much more to that. You cannot simply apply a preset. Yeah. Anytime I've used a preset, there's a lot of manipulation that's involved. You need to, you know, you have to shoot it with the sure. intention of applying that preset. So is is that part of it? Yeah. Like a lot I, of- I just, and I've spoken to this with a lot of people is, you know, I'm, 
working on a workshop, but, uh, you know, and, and speaking to that, like, it's just, I'm passionate about helping others and teaching them if they want to be taught, if you want to be taught, Mm -hmm. like if you really want to learn and you have the right intention and you want to be there to help yourself, not just a one-way ticket. Yeah. If you want to learn, it's like, I want to teach people how to build their own aesthetic and their own, their own base for their success and structure. A preset doesn't do that. That's, I bought a few presets, I think like three or four years ago when they were just kind of a thing because I want to understand what is a preset? What is that? So I purchased it and then I purchased it in efforts to dissect what is being changed here. Like what is being skewed? Oh, this tool does that. That's what this means. That's what this means. Yeah. That's what like the S curve. That's where everything lies within. That's like your own recipe within there. Like, okay, that's what's being manipulated. And these people use split toning. Like what is split toning? It's like, or what is this? Like it was for me to understand what is being made and how they make it. Yeah. Right. So then it's like, okay, I can use those same tools to develop mm-hmm. my own style. So there's no magic. It's just all built into Lightroom. Yeah, yeah, so it's like whatever you want it to be and 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 that's the beauty of it. And so for me it's about again like I said the pre-process of how I shoot yeah. and post-process. Uh, even though there's a ton of money in presets and I think so many people do such a good job promoting theirs and, and helping people build that foundation um, that I'm sure those people are forever thankful for. For me as Garrett and Shortstash, like I I can't f- sleep at night knowing that if I sold a preset, it's definitely not going to look like what I do because it's my own thing. And another part of me has a sense of pride in what I do because it, it took me years. And who knows? It could have just been from when I was born to think about how I view certain things or the common eye or how I view colors. I'm not just going to put that on a plate and give it to somebody that doesn't have a dollar value for me. Yeah. That's like priceless to me. And those are things that I've learned and from good and bad experiences and trial by error mm. that have made me me. Yeah. And I'm not just going to like I love it. soft serve somebody that recipe and then be like, all right, cool. So now I'm short stash or now I'm, I'm a experienced photographer and now I should be able to get all these jobs. It's like, I don't want to feed people that cause that's mm-hmm. just not right. And that's not true yeah. at all. So it's just a personal thing for me. Dude, I respect that. I don't know. If you follow me on Twitter, you'll see a couple months ago I posted a tweet that said, I will never sell LUTs. And then uh, <laughs> and then I followed up with uh, my new Sony skin tone LUT is coming out. Uh-huh. And it was like before a perfect shot. And then after it was like their skin was like green and yellow. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So No, I mean, it's because it's you, probably, I just you work really hard on doing yeah. that. And that's your own thing. And... And for filmmaking, LUT stands up stands for lookup table, yeah. and a lot of people sell these LUTs as presets or whatever, but they're not designed for that. They're designed to take you out of log. That was the whole point. Exactly. It's like, you know, you shoot on an Ari or a Red, you shoot super flat. That's just how you know cinematographers shoot. Sure. And then the cinematographer creates a LUT with the color grade, a color guy sure to basically bring everything back to normal yeah and then from there you color grade it that's the point of a lut is just to get you out of log it's not to like no make like a look and that's why i had to understand too getting into a video it's like okay there's a difference between color correcting and mm-hmm. then grading once yeah. you get to your colors that they're supposed to be yeah those are two different yeah and terms it's, yeah and color and, correcting is getting you to the correct image exactly and yeah. then from there you apply a look sure yeah. yeah and it's i think that's something people just miss so yesterday you actually posted an ama ask me anything on your instagram account yep uh and we actually have a few questions that some of your fans on instagram have asked you sure uh so let's start out with sarah court she asks, how do you work past creative blocks Sure. So I think that 
everyone deals with creative blocks. Um, I deal with them, I feel like, daily. Um, I think it helps to, one, just don't overthink things um, mm-hmm. at times. I make things so complicated for no reason and, mm-hmm. and just try to dumb it down to, like, why you love what you do and just remind yourself that you love what you do. Um, I think a lot of th- reasons creative blocks come up is all subconscious influence or if things, like, aren't happening great in your life or you're kind of having like a bad luck streak or just bad days, those tend to kind of beat you down and make you feel like, I don't know what to do. Mm-hmm. Um, or you just take a step back and put the camera down or put your pin down or whatever it is and just like get some fresh air, have some alone time, pray if that's if that's what you do, um, hang out with people that you enjoy if that's what you do, spend time with your family if you can, your dogs or whatever it is, and hold on to these tight niche things and things that really matter. And I feel like once you're able to kind of breathe mentally, you can start absorbing more creative, you know, creativity in your own in your own way. It's just letting things go to help things come back. So for me, it's uh, it's changing things up. So if I have a creative block and it's like, all right, I'm gonna maybe go to the gym and do a completely different exercise, you know, a whole setup, or, uh, I'm going to maybe go photograph something I normally wouldn't do, mm-hmm. or I don't know, just is exercise like a part of your daily routine and it part is. Of your creative process. Yeah. I try to go to the gym quite a bit, um, play basketball quite a bit. Um, have you found that to be a good outlet for your mind just to kind of clear out? It is. It gives me energy. It gives me like, um, you know, it's like the whole mentality of like, look good, feel good, feel good, look good type deal of just like your health. And that's Mm -hmm. such a massive part for me is mentally being healthy and physically. Mm -hmm. And I feel like they go hand in hand. If you're not physically healthy, you're not mentally healthy. And then Mm -hmm. it just kind of deteriorates from there. And, um, for me, that's what it is, is exercise and diet um, too. Yeah. Diet too. If I'm eating healthier, I feel like my gut's cleaner and healthier and I feel like a better person just in general. It's so crazy how everything ties together. And that's something that I'm really, really trying to dig into, um, and gain knowledge. I would love to have a health (laughs) coach and all that stuff to be able to, you know, help me out with those things. I think that's massive. So, so this next question is similar to the last one, but it is a little different and I'm curious to know your answer. It's from Tyler Wayne glass. And the question is, how do you stay inspired between projects? So we talked about creative blocks, Mm -hmm. but if you're moving from one project to another and they're completely different, how do you just stay inspired? Especially if, if maybe they are similar and it's like, okay, well they hired me based off of that last job. So they kind of want the same thing, Sure, but I don't want to just do the same old thing all the time. Sure. Um, I think it's, Again, resetting mm-hmm. your mind, body, everything, taking a nap, sleeping and resting if you can, like yeah. just physically giving yourself a moment to rest. Um, a buddy of mine and he's the owner of a uh, normal brand, Jimmy Sansone, who mm-hmm. I do a lot of their work. Uh, they're like family to me. He turned me on to this app called Headspace. And it's like a meditation app that I think is incredible. And you don't know how fast your mind is constantly moving. And to just sit down, take five, 10 minutes a day to meditate and do these little, these just little things um, really help to just control your breathing, reset. That seems to help me quite a bit. And I think that if it's back to back projects, it's so easy to get burnt out from just like no sleep or editing yeah. or this or that. And you're just like this, just, you know, you're like a zombie cranking through content. Do you ever take your, t- your, social media or computer phones just out of your life do you ever turn those off man i 
It is nice. Well, because a lot of these projects that I'm on, most of the time I have no service, so that's really nice. Uh, it's also tough if they want you to do stuff online or answer emails and things like that because you don't have the service. So when you get in, it's always a flood yeah. to try to get back to everyone. But um, man, there's so many days I just wish I didn't have social media or have any of that exist because there's such an interesting pressure to post or to mm-hmm. share work or you kind of have to because you agreed in a contract to share certain work. And um, But it's up to me to step back and be like, this is what I love. I love to share things. I love to communicate with people and just make sure that your intentions are still there. And honestly, if you don't want to do anything, you don't have to do anything, right? Mm-hmm. You don't have to answer to anyone. But um, I think that it's, it's important to, yeah, stay inspired by finding either inspiration outside, get out of your computer, get out of your phone, all those things, and just walk around and let certain ideas come to you. YouTube is also big for that if you're going to be on your computer. There's so many talented people. Vimeo, I think, is better than YouTube, but I feel like there's a lot more creative people on Vimeo. Um, Mm -hmm. I think that just helps me. I read a ton of design blogs. Uh, I'm a big gear tech nerd. I love looking at like slick, minimal, new design. It, it could be a trash can, and I'd be like, "This is the sickest trash can I've ever mm-hmm. seen." Somebody designed the way. Oh wait, that's a uh, Mac Pro. Yeah, it's yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's like it just just stuff. I get really, really, really heavily influenced from design. So whether it's nice. like web design, graphic design, interior design, architecture, mm-hmm. um, environmental design, just all art, of it, product, yeah, all of it. So I think it's, music. Do you listen to music? I do. Yeah. So any of that is also. St- interesting because that's where i get a lot of my inspiration from Mm -hmm. is things outside of photography and i think it's like this subconscious influence it's cool whether i can explain it or not kind of feels me i I don't know so i'm gonna ask you the question that was most asked uh let's just get through and over with (laughs) uh paul and why i'm assuming that stands for new york asks how do you edit your photos sure that's such a Broad. It's a very broad question, yes. but let's 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 get super nerdy and technical. Sure. Uh, you mentioned that you shoot specifically for your edit. Mm-hmm. Reveal as much as you want. Keep it a industry or a trade secret if you sure. want. But how do you how do you shoot with these custom picture profiles modes? Sure. And then from there, how do you craft your edit? And let's say it. I don't. I don't necessarily want to steal your idea or anything. Mm-hmm. Let's say it for somebody who wants to learn how to do this for themselves, how to be unique themselves. What do you do to create an image? How do you edit your photos? Sure. I think it touches on a lot of, there's like a, this is like a multifaceted question or answer for me. There's like three or four different variabilities that kind of differ. But, um, I think one is, what we talked about, color theory, prepping for that, seeing things the way you like to see. So one thing you can never teach people is your eye, right? Mm-hmm. That's unique to yourself. You have a different eye than I do. It, it's all a blessing, right? You're mm-hmm. going to see things differently than I do. And Although that's the like, color of our eyes are kind of similar, actually, yeah, it's as, like, I, as I look into yours. All of that is just different. <laughs> all that's so different because it. that's, that's so... Paul asking that he's going to see something way differently than I do. And that's the whole beauty. And then I'm going to see something completely different than him. So one, that's something that can never be taught. And that's a lot that goes into photos. It's not just colors. It's composing. It's what you see. Are you fast enough to photograph it? Do you know how to technically shoot it? Do you know Mm -hmm. the settings in your camera to capture it? Do you have, you know, the certain gear to capture it? If now you've, you know, 
come out of a certain situation where you know your limitations of gear? Mm-hmm. Do you have certain goals in, that you want to execute in photographing that? Do you know how to play with depth? Do you know what depth is? Do you know what certain lenses do? Do you know how your camera functions? You know what ISO or app? Do you know anything, right? <laughs> it's like you, you, all these things play into a factor. You just don't turn on the camera and hit hit the shutter. Yeah. So. There's so many things that is a basis that you have to know and understand before I feel like you can even get into editing. Do you know how to photograph? Like, period. Do you understand what it means to photograph, how to capture something? Do you know how to capture emotion? Do you know how to capture lifestyle to tell a story in your image? All of that goes way into Mm -hmm. anything before I color anything. Sure. That's the icing on the cake is making my colors come to life because of everything that goes mm-hmm. beforehand so i think for me there's no certain like route but it's you got to ask yourself do you understand how you work how you tick what makes you tick and then how to create that like are you you know do you understand like i said do you understand how your camera works what camera do you have you need to know exactly what these buttons mean do you need to know how you can take a photo on your phone and take it just from the base level of how to adjust exposure and things like that because that also plays a part in how to color things like that. Mm-hmm. Um, do you know, understand how to use the programs that you have? Have you taken time to, you know, you can YouTube anything. How to understand, you know, um, I used to edit all my photos in Adobe uh, Camera Raw. Mm-hmm. So, and then Lightroom came out. And it's like, do you understand how to then use Lightroom? Do you understand what the tools are for? What the tools mean? Mm-hmm. It's just all these things that people just want to skip over, like I said earlier, the creative process and just get right to it. Like, how do you edit yeah. your photos? I'm like, man, it doesn't take two things. Yeah. All these things stem from prep work, from ideas, from skill, from luck, from experience, from trying things, failing mm-hmm. at things, all of that. So I feel like it's just a much that's a much deeper answer than hey, you just uh, do this, this, and this, and you'll be mm-hmm. set. Uh, I think it's just a process of understanding before mm-hmm. you can even create. But you um, do shoot raw. Yeah, so and then technically. You pull it into Lightroom. Yeah, I shoot all raw photos. Um, and sometimes I'll shoot on compressed raw. Sometimes I'll shoot compressed. I can't really tell much of a difference other than one file is uh-huh. absolutely massive and the other yeah. one is smaller. Do you use an A7R3? Yeah, R- yeah, A7R3 and an A7 III. So I do shoot uncompressed raw on the A7 III because it has a lower megapixel count. And then mm-hmm. on the R3, I typically shoot compressed. Yeah, I don't really, it's massive. Yeah, it's huge. Mm-hmm. So, um, so yes, I do shoot in raw. Um, I have a different method of organization stuff. I organize all my photos through Photo Mechanic and things like that. And um, that's cool. Yeah. So, so do, do you name uh, a set of photos based off of the project and the, the yeah, date? Yeah, everything is all correlated through short stash, the date, time, the project. All my metadata is written through there, copyrighted through there, embedded nice. in every photo and organized. Um, Kaz really helped teach me kind of that um, process. So I'm really thankful for that because it's helped me quite a bit. Um, but yeah, on a technical sense, yeah, it's just, I don't do anything much different than anyone else. I just take a lot of pride in my prep work and mm-hmm. had took the time to understand why I shoot and how I shoot before I even have you, the have you used, um, the new iPad pro at all? I have it. Yeah. That's what, yeah. Do you actually edit on that? Do you have um, photos on it? Have you ever done that? I have. Cause I've, I've you I are traveling or something. Yeah. Like I think it's cool in theory, but it's not like fast. I mean, it is fast, but no, I'm with you. Say you went through a like hundred photos, faster, yeah. like with the pen and all that stuff. Like, I think maybe ten photos you could edit on there and be really fun. And it's cool to have that just in your lap and be able to expand and use all touchscreen. Um, so, like as a one-off, I think it's super cool and it's very efficient. But 
there's yeah something to do with just a, maybe it's just comfortability having just your laptop i'm with but. you i it's it, it's kind of unfortunate because the processor in the ipad pro is like really amazing yeah and like that arm chip and like the what they're able to do with ios is surprisingly faster than a macbook exactly, pro yeah like i have a macbook pro 13 inch and my ipad pro outperforms it when i'm editing 4k video sure because it's just the architecture of that chip and the software and stuff it's kind of nuts sure so i want like it's a better computer but using a pointing device and a keyboard like it's just better so yeah it's, i think it just comes down to like and comfortability and x and like just organizing like your windows mm-hmm. i feel like yeah. not being able to do that on the ipad is really hard to kind of yeah. push and pull and manage and zoom out and and like swipe and stuff to get that i mm-hmm. think that it'd be kind of a cool challenge to just kind of take if you're able to take your computer away for a week and strictly just use that one tool and get really good at that one tool then mm-hmm. i feel like you would i would use it a lot more yeah if you're forced to but... there's some new updates too that make it more like a laptop you, yeah. you actually have file management now with the new os sure. coming out there's also like mouse support interesting well, which is interesting it's kind of like in beta but we'll see huh i, I use my ipad too if i'm doing like skin retouching uh, i use my ipad for my computer so oh, i use cool. it as an intuoso type pad so i use yeah. the apple pencil and through like an app called astral pad or something it connects mm-hmm. to my macbook and it's like there's no lag yeah it's almost instant well, they're about so. to they're about to put astral pad out of business because the new os just does it's gonna do that okay yeah, yeah. and time. it also includes touch bar on it too, oh, okay which is cool sick i yeah. never use that do you use i assume you use the ipad for your drawing on pictures yeah yeah too. yeah because the apple II pencil is actually so much more intuitive than the last update or the last pencil yeah so i love using sketching drawing painting whatever it is on that ipad yeah. i don't i have a wacom tablet and it's gotten better than the tablet yeah honestly. it's just it's almost instantaneous yeah. and the pressure and stuff you can use so i i like that it's pretty and amazing everyone again wants to know what tools you're using to create and that's not going to make you an artist it's yeah. like yeah i use an ipad you could use a wacom tablet or whatever you want uh and do the same thing sure. you could use your mouse i don't it doesn't yeah. matter it's, it's just, just what nerdy. i use it's nerdy info yeah but it's like people are like oh okay if i get this ipad this pencil all of a sudden i'm an artist <laughs> no. like okay. um thank you for answering that question yeah, uh, <laughs> what is your most used lens angel oh it's me asks okay um, and and obviously you use a lot of different lenses i would assume but sure what's kind of your go-to so i carry a lot of gear that's kind of a a downfall of like what I do is <laughs> I carry so much gear, but I use every piece. Mm-hmm. So I use a 7200 a lot if I want to pull certain depth and compression, and that's really the main zoom lens I use mm-hmm. um, for the most part. Other than that, it's all prime. So I use 2414, I use a 5014, I use a 50 for it, everything. Is that the Sony Zeiss one? Uh, yeah, yeah. Nice. So the 50 I think is like my standard. I just love that. Depth that's of how field. you started you had a nikon with a nifty 50. Yeah, exactly so it was a 50 was everything and then i think for years i used a 35 and 35 i could be stuck with one lens the rest of my life i think it'd be a 35 one four just because that's the film standard you know it's mm-hmm. 35 millimeters and um so it'd be a 35 or 50 but then uh i'll use every now and then i use like this 90 millimeter macro uh 16 to 35 depending i don't really use that for like it's so funny like that 16 to 35 is a great lens i don't really use it that much anymore like i'll maybe use it uh what do you mean anymore did you fall out of love with it well i used to it depends like i don't really shoot so many landscapes anymore mm-hmm. and 16 you can kind of encompass all of that mm-hmm. um but like i bought it as like a variable video lens for like steadicam stuff 
But in all honesty, like I would only use, I go about like 24 to 25 millimeters video as wide as I'd go. Because otherwise mm. it looks kind of like your like skate film or like distortion. And yeah. to me, I want it to look more traditional. So anything wider than that, we're just, and we just put on the 24 1/4 if that's the case. For most of the time on a gimbal, we'll put the 24 to 70 on it. Because you can also, yeah. you know, have steady motion with compression is really cinematic. Oh, yeah. So that's more versatile. But uh 1635 I don't use too much other than for like wide landscapes or cityscapes photo wise sure um but video I don't I don't really use it that much anymore but it is a great lens so I I don't use a whole lot of zooms I feel like I could maybe save my back if I did Uh I carry so much weight but I love primes and like one four and uh I think that's just kind of I think zooming with your feet is something that's important to learn uh when you're starting out get a prime probably a normal focal length either 35 or 50 just yep. pick whichever one you like and just learn on that and uh, learn how to compose with one lens it's it's sometimes you cheat when you have a zoom because it's like you just instead of moving and getting a better composition sure. you just kind of zoom out or zoom in well and i think it also adds complications too because you're kind of overwhelmed like how should i shoot this yeah right and so yeah i agree i think that uh, i carry this one i used to have a fuji x100 t mm-hmm s i can't remember i think i had both but yeah it was stuck yeah it was a fixed like 28 millimeter lens which is a 35 on that crop sensor yeah and it was just that's what you had and you couldn't change the lens you just walk around and snap with that so you go to and from your subject closer further away and compass the scene and i absolutely love that because it forced you to get creative with what you had just Mm -hmm. like your phone and then it makes you appreciate that focal length um i recently got another x100 but it's the f Mm-hmm. It's really slick. That camera is beast, and you can customize it like the thumb grip and the wood shutter button and just all yeah. this cool stuff. Um, and so I try to carry that with me a lot and start kind of photographing more of like day to day stuff. And yeah. um, I think it's great because it's so simple. The thing is a tank; you can throw it anywhere. Mm-hmm. Um, it's fixed, and it's just it's just on the go, man. It does incredible stuff. So yeah, that, and it that looks camera really is, pretty too. Yeah, that camera is <laughs> awesome. So I love that, and it just it it simplifies stuff. What's the difference between planning an image versus seeing an image and capturing Aiden A. White asks? Sure. So um, I spoke about this in Canada. Uh, I had a whole keynote presentation on planning. So it was the idea versus reality. Mm-hmm. And you can, as long as you put all this prep work into and, and you know, into what you want to get and have, you know, this execution in mind, I feel like no matter what the outcome is, you're going to you're going to be prepared to roll with the punches. And I think that in that question, you have to learn how to adapt. Mm-hmm. I've planned out so many things. And again, if you go outside and the weather doesn't hold up, okay, you're, you're just going to have to shift. If you have this one idea around getting these golden sun flares around a model or a subject and there's no sun, okay, now what? Also, if you if you chose a location specific to that, now what? Mm-hmm. Right? Do you change locations? Do you just roll with what you have? It's things like that. So I think... That's also where that spontaneous question comes out as I, I love, I'd rather have a more planned shoot because you've put all that prep work in, whether it's like outfits to location, to subject matter, to, you know, whatever you have for that moment. Um, and then a lot of times I think what is planned also turns into spontaneous because certain factors change, certain variables all get switched around or taken away. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's a little bit of both, but I think if you do that prep work, that post work no matter if things go right or wrong uh will be really really good but if you just kind of show up and expect something great to happen that doesn't happen to me i don't have (laughs) that great of luck so i have to put some prep work in and there's times i have gotten lucky Mm -hmm. uh but for the most part i think if you 
you know, as much as you put in, you'll get out of it. It's a fallback to when things go awry and it gives sure. you, yeah. I mean, when I was a magician, again, you'll laugh because I mentioned <laughs> that. That was part of it, is like you want to have a script. You want to have, you want to know what you've got to say. doesn't mean you have to say it word for word. Sure. But it gives you a place to fall back on to move forward and stuff. Sure, exactly. And if you have no plan at all, then it's going to be really hard to freestyle off yeah. some you have a foundation that doesn't exist mm-hmm. so then if certain ideas don't come to life then what you just kind of mm-hmm. scrambling and then it looks scrambled and then yeah. you might maybe only get a couple great shots that you love but you could have like 50 uh-huh. from separate scenarios scenes everything so again it's just i think for me it's like intentionally thinking out like a, mm-hmm. a pre-process and then you know let post happen on its own how do you create magic on a harsh daylight MVRKXG asks. <laughs> okay. I think, uh, so this is going to come down to, I'm going to have to shout out Polar Pro for this because Polar Pro has literally saved my life in these technical situations. If you don't have a polarizer during the day or an ND filter, that is massive because, you know, when I was photographing those kids or animals in Africa, it was all harsh daylight the whole mm-hmm. time. Very few times were those sh- uh, shots at sunset because, ironically, there's like no animals at sunset. Mm-hmm. They all just like disappear. That's the one time you'd want to be shooting or like sunrise. It's like, oh, I'm going to get this golden lion. It's going to be Lion King everywhere. It's going to come out of the dust. <laughs> and there was no animals. Uh-huh. But it was all during the day. And to have a polarizer and an ND filter on it and be able to actually open up your shutter, or, I mean, open up your aperture and, and like, you know, if you, especially for video out of all things, man, if you yeah. don't technically have the gear and be savvy for it, you're shooting very uh, lazy video and it's going to show, mm-hmm. you know, frame rate, jumping, all that stuff. So for me in the harsh daylight is one, just be prepared. Mm-hmm. Also know how to use light. If you don't have that gear, get in the shadows, create your own shadow, create that, that certain uh, look that you want, like play with light, play with, you know, um, where it's coming from, things like that. Learn how to compose, learn how to get creative with the subject at hand. If you don't have all that gear, also be prepared to just be happy with what you can create. Because if you haven't done the prep work, Mm -hmm. you can't be too upset about the post because that's just the cards you were dealt with. So I think that being technically prepared, Mm -hmm. uh, gear wise is important, like polarizer. And then like the Peter McKinnon, like the two to five stop I have on several of my lenses. And that, that allows me to shoot portraits at like one, six, one, eight broad daylight. Cause Mm -hmm. I can put it down to like four or five stops and open that way up. And you have that nice rich blue sky or that light flare coming in Mm -hmm. and it's right in the middle of the day. And people are just like, man, that's awesome. But it's because I prepped, right. Mm -hmm. I was prepared for that. So do you shoot with a slower shutter in the daytime? Um, no, sometimes. I mean, yeah, depending on whatever I'm wanting to shoot. Uh, but yeah, and during the daytime, depending, yeah, if it's a portrait, I'll, you know, put it down to like eight, nine hundred, like one eight hundredth of a second or stuff okay. like that, depending on like my low ISO and then you know my the stops light, and yeah. yeah the light. But um, yeah, I try to just like dumb it down to just the basics of a camera and like try to create clean work and mm-hmm. sometimes you really have to crank a certain <laughs> dial to get to where you need but sure um i think being like tech savvy in that department mm-hmm. uh, has made huge leaps for my work because i used to not really care about filters or understand the difference uh, but like polarizes of course if you're shooting broad daylight and you're shooting vehicles you have to have one to cut down on all those reflections in the windows yeah. just a must mm-hmm. um so it's yeah it's stuff like that like details yeah and if you just show up and expect this vision to come to life and you didn't come Mm -hmm. prepared you're not going to get everything that you want so i think um just knowing your environment 
But yeah, yeah. Those, those shots in Africa are like not ideal times of the day. It's like 9, 10, 11, 12, you know, p.m. Uh, harsh. But then like 9, 10, 11, you know, a.m., it's just harsh, harsh light with like dead grass, gray to blue skies, brown everywhere. It's like <laughs> you gonna know you want to know how to shoot and then also mm-hmm. how to color. Yeah, um, if you care. Yeah. But. So, so that's what we'll, we're done with the AMAs. We had a whole bunch of other questions sure. about how you edit, but uh, we'll just skip those because you covered it pretty well. Sure. Um, <laughs> but what advice do you have for creators who want to build a brand like what you've done with your mm-hmm. career? I think that. You just develop um, one that's going to be over time. Two, it's do you have the right intention to be serious about your craft? Do you want to be a craftsman? Like, do you really want to be a creative? Because then you need to take those steps to do it. Uh, take it serious because this is this is a real opportunity and a real job that you can make a reality and and love it. Um, so I think are you pure in your intentions? Two, how hungry are you? Because I promise the next guy you know, to you is younger, faster, smarter, has more money, has more flexibility, willing to take risks, all that stuff. Um, and then don't live without, you know, outside of your means, like don't push yourself, you know, where you're unhappy, make a thing, make sure that you're fulfilled Mm -hmm. and and happy. And I feel like all those things, when they come together, uh, in that right mindset, I feel like you're able to create your own brand and, and do that through time. Uh, don't be afraid to reach out, take risks, experiment, develop your own style and aesthetic, mm-hmm. make you, you, and don't do it like anyone else, right? Mm-hmm. You can take inspiration from others, colors that you like, that you see, but make sure it's true to yourself. And I promise you, like you can make leaps and, and carve out your own path for yourself and do it your own way. That's the whole beauty is you can do it your own way. You don't have to mm-hmm. do it like anybody else. Because uh, they were successful on their path, that's great. You can be successful, if not more, on your own path. So, I think that that's huge. Is people willing to be scared and take risks, fail, mm-hmm. make good mistakes, um, and just push? Is Instagram necessary for a photographer? No way. No way. I think it's actually worse for a photographer. It's so toxic, and people just are so hungry for to be noticed and, and successful that. I just wish it didn't exist. Uh, I wish you could still meet people outside of your phone organically and talk to people. And, and, you know, I'm guilty of being on my phone too much and and missing opportunities around me, you know, and Mm -hmm. whether it's like a crazy bird flying by or just the sounds around you and stuff like that, just noticing things. So, um, no, it's not a necessity. I urge people to create outside of social media. It's there to share, man. Just share stuff that you love and stuff that you're passionate about. Mm-hmm. People like it. That's great. If they don't, who cares? Like you're mm-hmm. supposed to create for yourself. Yeah, who cares about the algorithm? Yeah, yeah. exactly. Like that, everything is not defined by your success from other people liking it or not liking. It. Like who yeah. cares? And so that's a true artist. Do you think all these other big artists back in the day care about people think? It's like they don't care what people think. <laughs> a lot and of them it, weren't even famous until after they died. Exactly. And like you know, the adversity they dealt with didn't had nothing to do with uh, mm-hmm. a computer. So yeah. It's uh, it's real genuine, organic, face to face interaction. I think people should just create because they love to do it and share because you enjoy it. Where do you see the future of your brand headed? Man, I uh, I don't know. Um, I get asked that a lot, and Mr. Stash. Uh, yeah, I think that uh, could be cool to have a full blown agency at one point um, with designers and editors and creators and filmmakers and photographers. It's also cool just to have a small team or do my own thing or, or whatever that is could go back to designing and never know. Uh, I just think that wherever the journey takes me, like I just want to be fulfilled, man. If I'm working on motorcycles, I just want to be happy doing that. 
um, doing photography on the side, if I'm happy teaching, if I'm happy um, in anything that I'm doing, I think that that's as long as I'm fulfilled because I've been at my highest highs and lowest lows. And Mm -hmm. I think that it's that gap between that makes you feel alive. And uh, I'm not sure where that's going to be at, but as long as I'm failing upwards and growing, I think that's the most important part to me. So So I'm going to steal this question from a friend of mine who asked me recently, if you could put anything on a sign in the middle of Times Square, mm-hmm. any any quote, any saying, what would it be? What would you put in front of everybody in the middle of Times Square? Mm-hmm. What what do you want to put out there into the world? Sheesh. I think that I could use it myself, but um, two, two options. Stay thankful. I think that's very broad, but so true. Stay thankful for just moments friends times that you have the good days the bad days all of it that is huge just remember to be thankful two would be i would just have it say selfless because the more i take myself out of a situation and become selfless and like love from afar support from afar make sure you know if you're going to tithe you do it with the envelope closed you don't Mm -hmm. you don't boast like just stay humble and hungry type deal but I think just being selfless, I'm constantly reminded by friends and, and, and experiences. It's like take yourself out of the equation and let it be about something bigger than yourself. Let it be about what's happening around you. And mm-hmm. just like, I, I don't know. I think that we're everyone's so concerned of how they look, what they're doing. It's about them. It's this public figure thing that the more you take yourself out of it, the more these opportunities seem to kind of arise because you're just putting things into motion. And it's not about you. It's about what you love, what you do. Uh, I think that kind of is across all boards. So, yeah. Heck yeah. Well, Garrett King, thanks yeah. for coming on, man. <laughs> thanks for having me, man. Shit. Thank awesome. you. I really hope you enjoyed our interview with Garrett King. If you haven't followed him already, then I encourage you to go check out his Instagram account at shortstash. And if you also want to follow his additional account, you can follow him at longstash. One thing that really spoke to me in my interview with Garrett was setting aside my expectations with online social media consumption and sharing. I think as an artist, we can get wrapped up in the social media aspect of our jobs. And it's important to remember that that is not why we do what we do. We are artists who are here to create art and share that with the world. Social media is designed really just to share what we want to share with the world and not worry too much about likes, followers, and all that garbage. So just remember today when you're on Instagram and when you're on YouTube, don't worry too much about how many likes you get or how many views you get. Just make something that you're proud of that you want to share with other people. Kind of like this podcast. If you enjoyed this podcast, please consider sharing it with a friend who you think might enjoy it as well. And don't forget, if you want to watch the video interview in its entirety, multi-cammed with images and motion graphics, all sorts of fancy stuff, then go to polarpro.com slash golden hour and you can see the video from this interview. That also goes for any podcast moving forward. We are going to be posting the entire video edit of each interview that we do moving forward. I hope you enjoyed this episode of the Golden Hour podcast again here in the Polar Pro studio. Once again, I'm Dave Mays. We'll see you next week.